Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up today, Raise the Bar, Hancock County is known for helping students launch successful careers. Now they're rolling out a program to help unemployed and underemployed adults raise their bar. We'll learn more. Also this morning, Russian hackers attacking U.S. nuclear sites. Sounds like something out of a spy novel, but it's a lot less thrilling when it's real. How prepared are we to fight back against this form of cyber warfare? And we have details on upcoming programs and activities for all ages at the Findlay-Hancock County Public Library. Director Sarah Clevidence will tell us what's happening. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, January 25th, 2023. One month exactly since Christmas, and that means just about exactly a month since the last winter storm that we had uh, come through our area. But this this one is much different than that one. With that one, it was not so much the snow; it was the blowing and you know all of that. We're, this actually is uh, going to be a snow event. They're talking what maybe a half a foot of snow, although. It's a little bit later in getting here than what we expected. Uh, was supposed to start about three o'clock this morning, and then really start to pick up right about now. But I've been looking at the radar, um, and it's kind of—it's the darndest thing. It's kind of uh, created a little uh, bubble right around Hancock County. You go to the north, you go to the south. And we're getting a lot of snow, but it's kind of created this little bubble in in Hancock County and the uh, surrounding area that we haven't gotten quite as much. And uh, but don't let that lull you into a false sense of security. Still a good chance we're going to see quite a bit of this before it is all over. But uh, good day to hunker down. Good day to just hunker down and not go anywhere. And maybe play some video games. Uh, And it's not just teenagers who are plugged in. Uh, New research conducted by Samsung shows that more and more adults over the age of 65 are playing video games. Out of 1,000 adults 65 and over over who were surveyed, 85% say they play video games. And 36% play every day. Now... When I think video games, I'm thinking, you know, the console games on your TV, like your Xbox, your PlayStation, and so on. I don't know whether that included, like, mobile games, video games on your on your phone or on your mobile device, on your tablet. Uh, because that, to me, is a different category, but I don't know if it technically uh, is for the purposes of this survey. But what I thought was really interesting... Uh, about this survey is one out of five seniors say they picked up the hobby during the pandemic and many say they enjoy playing with their children or their grandchildren. One 77 year old said it was during the pandemic that I started doing this with my granddaughter. And since then we've been closer than ever. So you want to connect with your kids or your grandkids in particular, try playing video games with them. Uh, And some research indicates that playing video games uh, improve attention skills and improve memory. So it's a lot of benefits there. 
Good day to uh, just uh, hang out at home and, if you can, and enjoy some comfort foods. Oreo is dropping the most Oreo Oreo ever the beginning of next week. For those that can't get enough of the iconic cookie, the most Oreo Oreo takes two Oreo cookies, you know, the, the cookie part, and puts a huge amount of cream in the middle. I mean, beyond the double stuff. And I'm old enough to remember when they introduced double stuff and we thought, oh man, we're in heaven. Well, now they have gone one step further. Not only uh, does it have even more cream in the middle of the Oreo than the double stuff, the cream has bits of Oreo cookie in it. So it is the most Oreo Oreo ever. Limited edition, and it goes on sale January 30th. So definitely one of the first things you need to know this morning. The most important news of the day. We want to make sure that we uh, bring you up to speed on the vital things that you need to know right out of the gate this morning. By the way, speaking of uh, comfort foods, speaking of the uh, foods that we love, uh, they are out with the list. Yelp is out with their list of the 100 best pizza places in the U.S. for 2023. The 100 top pizza places. A uh, An establishment by the name of Sapori D76 Degrees in Pasadena, California, takes the top spot for the best pizza joint in the nation, according to Yelp. Uh, pizza spots in Massachusetts, Connecticut, Nevada, and Utah round out the top five. So... None of them particularly close to us. However, there are three in the Cleveland area that made the list. Ohio actually pretty well represented. Three in the Cleveland area. Inforno Pizza in Avon uh, being the highest ranked at number 12 overall in the country. So that's not too bad. Not too shabby. Um, if you don't get to Cleveland very often, you could try Tyler's Pizzeria and Bakery in the Columbus suburb of Reynoldsburg that came in at number 17. Or if you're headed over to uh, Amish country, uh, stop by Park Street Pizza in Sugar Creek, uh, ranked number 51 nationally. So uh, just right around the uh, middle of the top 100 pizza joints in the U.S., no Jack and Doe's? you got to be kidding me. That's, that's just wrong. Uh, let's see. And uh, what else is uh, going on this morning that you need to know? To Oh, uh, we mentioned this uh, yesterday and uh, definitely want to make sure that you are aware. Uh, the hands of the doomsday clock are closer to midnight than at any point in history. Now, I mentioned yesterday the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientists. Uh, we're going to update the Doomsday Clock for the first time since 2020 yesterday. And the hands of the symbolic clock have moved 10 seconds forward, 10 seconds closer to Doomsday than we were the last time they updated it. We were 100 seconds to midnight. Now we are 90 seconds to midnight it is the closest the clock has been to symbolic doom since it was created more than 75 years ago to convey the threats facing humanity and the extinction thereof. 
Scientists say Russia's invasion of Ukraine has increased the risk of nuclear escalation. According to Bulletin President Rachel Bronson, speaking with ABC News, the possibilities that that conflict can spin out of anyone's control remains high. Well, aren't they just a cheery bunch? (laughs) I guess if you are uh, trying to represent the doomsday clock, it's by definition not going to be a very rosy picture. But uh, in any event, uh, the world also still faces the climate crisis and biological risks such as the COVID-19 pandemic. So taking all of that into account, they have moved us 90 seconds until midnight on the doomsday clock. I feel like we should have some grand echo there. The doomsday clock. Um, It should be noted, and they are quick to point out, that they don't see the doomsday clock as a forecasting tool. They are not predicting the end of the world necessarily. They say instead it highlights all of the apocalyptic threats that humanity faces. So, it's not a prediction. It's just a friendly warning. (laughs) So, there you go. We are 90 seconds until midnight. Because of the doomsday scenario, which is kind of what we are dealing with today in the weather. It's a doomsday scenario. Uh, So anyway, (laughs) that's where we are. There you go. Some of the uh, most interesting and buzzworthy stories to get your Wednesday morning started. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. Your WTOL 11 weather. Snow showers expected today, along with a wintry mix at times, a high of 34. A wintry mix tonight, a low of 29. We're under a winter storm warning today as this winter storm impacts the area. Total snow accumulations of 5 to 8 inches are possible, along with a wintry mix of precipitation at times. The snowy conditions will make traveling difficult, especially into the afternoon as more snow falls. Remember, you can always get the latest school and business closings, community cancellations, and road alerts on our website. And while there, you can also sign up to receive our text alerts. Also, instead of calling it in, people are urged to submit their business and organization cancellations online on our website by clicking on the Weather tab. A body that was found floating in a Finley Pond last week has been identified. The Finley Police Department says it was the body of Benjamin Greeno that was found by somebody fishing in the pond behind the Walmart on Trenton Avenue. The Lucas County Coroner's Office cited drowning as the preliminary cause of death for the 45-year-old. Police say no trauma was noted on Greeno's body during the autopsy and foul play is not suspected. The Ohio Department of Transportation is ready for this winter storm. So far this year, ODOT has used more salt and brine this season than last. Now that's due to the major storm we had right before Christmas Eve with a combination of snow, bitter temperatures, and extremely strong winds. If you think about it, when you're actually having brine come down or having salt come out of the vehicle with winds as strong as they were, it just pushes the material off to the side of the roadway and there is otherwise rendered ineffective. ODOT points out that last year was a quiet winter at this point as well, but we had a few storms late in the season that kept their road crews busy. WTOL 11's Amanda Fay reporting. In college football, the big house at the University of Michigan is getting a little bit smaller. Michigan's tunnel will be wider. In the past, the tunnel has been the site of fights between players as they enter and exit the field. The university says it's going to remove a portable section of 45 seats from the front of this tunnel to make room. I'm Tracy Townsend. 
Remember, you can always get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. Matt Demchek for 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Well, by now you are probably familiar with Raise the Bar Hancock County, the industry sector partnership that brings together people and businesses to promote workforce development. Well, now they are launching a program aimed at vulnerable, unemployed, and underemployed adults raise their bar. Executive Director Trisha Valesk joins us this morning with more. Trisha, most of your efforts to date have involved helping students and young people who are just starting out to find their best career path and best employer match. So you see this as what to now has been a missing piece in the workforce development equation? That's right, Chris. Um, We have always worked along that cradle-to-career continuum. It is a very easy group of individuals to work with when we are working in the school setting because we can influence and guide a large number of individuals for our future workforce in that way. But when we look at the adults, we are often seeing that there are people who might be changing jobs too frequently, always looking for the next best thing, or they're just unsure of where to land and what's right for them. And it's because they don't have these types of resources available to them, like we offer in the school system. And so that's why we are launching this career assessment process for the adults is to give them a way to understand their own interests, their own skills and aptitudes, to then guide them towards workplaces and career options that best align with them. So in announcing this program earlier this week, you pointed out that Hancock County already ranks highest in wages among all 88 Ohio counties uh, as of the second quarter of last year. So at first glance, one might look at that and say, how big of a problem is this really? (laughs) It's a great data to come out. It is a true recognition of how hard all of our employers are working here in this community to provide a a great financial stability to those who live and work in, in Hancock County. But it is still a problem. I mean, our population is remaining rather stable over time. We know that we have a lot of employers who are looking to expand, and we need to figure out how are we going to get more individuals into full-time positions that they can stay at and grow with the company to regain that balance of loyalty that many of the employers have lost over the years and decades as it's just societal changes and generational changes have come about. But we want to get back to a place where we want people to want to work in our community. We want them to work for the employers that we have in this community. And that means helping them see the connection between what they're good at and what that employer can offer them. You bring up such a a good point that this is not just about the jobs that are available now, but also future jobs uh, for employers that are looking to expand and grow and finding the workforce to fill those positions that don't even yet exist. And I would imagine, especially for this segment of the population, those positions are particularly difficult to find. Yeah, I mean, how do we look at what do we need coming up when we can't even imagine what those jobs might be because automation, technology, even remote work is consistently changing our workplace environment. But what we do know is that if we can guide individuals to understanding 
what they want to get out of the workplace, um, what skill sets they can bring to the table, that that love of learning to want to grow and to gain more skills and to always be a part of what's coming and being excited about that next charter of bringing in jobs or this new type of automation. Mm -hmm. We want them to be on the cusp of that all the time. It's very exciting for this to be happening in Hancock County and Northwest Ohio. And of course, that excitement is not limited to just young people who are starting out in their careers either. So as we said, this new program is aimed at vulnerable, unemployed, and underemployed adults. That is a pretty wide net. How do you define that? Who are these people specifically? It is a very wide net on purpose. And we are looking at everyone from maybe there's a, a student who is off to college, realizes, you know what, college wasn't for me and I don't know what I want to do. When they come back from college, they don't have those social support systems because they aren't homeless or they don't um, necessarily qualify for unemployment. Maybe there's parents saying, what do we need to do? What can my child like look forward to? So this career assessment could be for that type of individual. It could be somebody who is just working multiple jobs, trying to make ends meet, and always saying, I could do something more, but I don't know what it is. The assessment could be good for them. It could be for individuals who are already working with social service agencies that are wonderful assets in this community. Maybe they're having mentorship through, let's say, Welcome to a New Life or Hope House or our Financial Opportunity Center, Habitat. If anyone is working with those agencies, those agencies can help refer their clients to this assessment process to also put them on a path towards gainful employment, which will then also influence how they are having other life events happen around them and, and shape who they are as people. So it is it is wide, and we hope that as many individuals as we can fit uh, will take advantage of this for this next year. It's a pilot program. But if it works well and we see the need for it, we will absolutely look to expand it for the coming years. So how does this work? Is it really all that different from any of your existing programs? And how do you tweak it or customize it for this group of individuals specifically? The way the program works is an individual can either refer themselves or someone can refer them. We ask that there be someone of influence in that person's life, whether, again, it's a mentor, it's a career coach, maybe it is a very involved parent. So we will, it's a simple referral through Raise the Bar's website. They would be assigned to one of our two contracted career assessment specialists. Those people would reach out and do a couple, it's a couple hour assessment because it's hands on and virtual. And after that, we sit down and have that conversation of this is what the test results are saying. This defines you. Um, there's no right or wrong answer. But after that, then we connect them with a learning platform called Castle Explore. And then they get to explore career options from a distance, and then hopefully work up to going out and meeting some employers that offer those careers locally and see that there's a connection and opportunity for employment. So and, it's rather simple. Okay. It begins with a referral. And uh, how about how long does this take beginning to end? I mean, from the time that I would express an interest in uh, this program to the time when I would find that uh, position, that good match, uh, for that job for me? I think it depends on how um, motivated an individual is to go out and continue exploring. The assessment process could take up to two weeks to get it scheduled and then have that time for completion and that follow-up conversation. And then after that, it really just 
depends on how an individual wants to go forth with finding that job or that employer. Um, and using all the resources that we do have in this town, there is no wrong door when it comes to, to working with people who can help point you in the right direction. Um, and so it's just taking the time to go have those conversations and explore what kind of workplaces might be the best fit. Again, Executive Director Trisha Valesque of Raise the Bar, Hancock County. We've got a link up on our webpage for more information about this uh, latest uh, adult uh, workforce exploration and readiness program. So you can check that out online. Trisha, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks, Chris. Well, this sounds like it could be something out of a spy novel, but it is very real. There is growing evidence uncovered by Reuters working with a team of cybersecurity experts that Russian hackers have been attempting to gain access to U.S. nuclear sites. Three sites specifically were targeted between August and September of last year. And if that's not enough to send a chill down your spine, I don't know what would. We are joined this morning by cyber terrorism analyst, chief security advisor at Sentinel One, and former senior advisor to the U.S. State Department's anti-terrorism assistance program, Morgan Wright. Morgan, what do we know about these hackers and what they were apparently trying to do? Yeah, the, definitely they are proxies of the Russian government um, called Cold River, and they targeted scientists at three of our uh, national labs. Uh, and what they did is, you know, they, they were trying to, rather than doing a, like a brute force attack or doing a sophisticated hack, they were doing the, probably the easiest way to get into a system, which is create a fake login page, make mm -hmm. it look real. Yeah. And then send them emails saying, Hey, you need to log in or, Hey, here's the login for this, or we have an update. You got to log in. The whole goal was to capture usernames and passwords credentials so that then they could then access the system at a time and place of their choosing it. It's easier to do that. You know, it's easier to let have somebody let you into the bank vault than it is to try to drill through it and break in. So this is one of the easiest ways to do it. And no doubt they're aligned with Russian interests, but it looks like right now they're a proxy or a third party, but still going after our secrets during a time when we're uh, supporting Ukraine uh, against Russian uh, aggression over there. Um, yeah, to your point, it's like these things are very concerning to, to the United States and to our uh, military. It would seem that uh, this is a fairly low-level hacking attempt, uh, very unsophisticated, as you were uh, talking about. How close would that get you, this fake login and, and phishing emails? How close would that get you to either taking control of a nuclear facility or otherwise disrupting its operation? I don't know because a lot of that information sits on the, you know, there's two systems normally when they get in there, they have their unclassified side and then, you know, the classified side, and that's a separate log and a separate supposed to be air gap network. But there's a lot of, there's a lot of secrets. There's a lot of information you can pull out of these systems. I don't think their intent was to, to disrupt as much as it was to steal, steal information about what are our labs working on? Are we working on anything that would help them prosecute the war against Ukraine? Are we working on anything about advanced technology? I mean, one of our concerns is there's a Russian ship now um, coming, will be within range of the United States, and it's equipped with hypersonic missiles. No defense against those things right now. So mm. they may be looking at, are, are we building anything around those things to defend against hypersonic missiles? So with Russia, it's they've got some targets, they've got some uh, goals for their intelligence operations, and definitely what they're looking for here is advanced technology, knowledge, countermeasures, things like that. Why is it that we are just learning of this from a Reuters news report? Was the State Department or Homeland Security even aware of this? 
That's a good question. You know, the, the, the things that should be, this falls under the Department of Energy, all of these national labs. So the question is, you know, did the Department of Energy make any notifications? Would they have noti- notified uh, DHS? Because that would have been one of the primary partners they go into, as well as the FBI. Was there a penetration? We don't know at this point if they got access using this method. We know that they were being targeted. But I'll tell you, this is the way it normally happens. Uh, you'll get investigative reporters, you'll get news organizations who, which discover this information maybe before the government's ready to release it. So we don't know if it was uh, if they actually were successful mm-hmm. or if we were able to counter them, but we just don't want to talk about it yet because it would potentially disrupt something that we're doing back against them. So but we don't. So the short answer is we don't know because the Department of Energy is not saying a thing. Yeah, um, it, it's been said that the future of warfare will be waged on the cyber battlefield, not the traditional battlefield. And it seems as though, from as you're explaining it, this is not necessary as a, a salvo in that uh, uh, type of war directly, but more uh, aimed at getting information that would assist the Russians on the traditional battlefield. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And it's actually a a standard tactic. It's called IPP, intelligence preparation of the battlefield. Before you attack, before we invaded Normandy during World War II, we did a lot of intelligence preparation for that. We looked at the sand. We looked at the where we could put the floating harbors. We looked at where were the Germans at. We were trying to steal as much information as we could so that our attack would be uh, successful. This is no different. They are continuously collecting information. They did it during the solar winds hack a couple of years ago, targeting the National Nuclear Stockpile Agency, the Federal uh, Electric Regulatory Commission. So they are constantly looking and assessing our vulnerabilities and collecting it. They may not do it. I don't believe they'll ever do a full scale attack because that would invite a response, full scale response from us and from our NATO partners. Mm-hmm. Still, Article 5 applies here. But they are masters at low intensity conflict, staying below the radar, doing the stuff that we would consider to be ankle biter, but it is draining our resources and draining our money because we have to keep responding to it, and they, they are collecting information as they go along. Well, either way, that's why one of the, the points that I wanted to, to make here. Either way, whether this is, whether we're talking about uh, cyber battlefield or just information, sort of like the 21st uh, century version of the code breakers, um, it, it does seem that the hackers are the ones who are the aggressors, the cybersecurity forces are the ones that are uh, constantly playing defense. Absolutely. You know, I, one of my sayings that, you know, it's kind of taken from the other folks, but look, we can defend anything. We just can't defend everything. And what the attackers do is they attackers always have the advantage because they can attack at a time and a place of their choosing at a place. If you, if you, you know, read Sun Tzu, it's what it says, you know, attack where they least expected attack where they're least defended. And that's what they continue to do. The attackers almost always have the advantage against the defenders. But, you know, we do a pretty good job, but still, you know, as the old saying goes, we got to be right 100% of the time. They only got to be right once. Mm. I I can hear a lot of folks saying, I'm sure that the U.S. is doing uh, many of these same operations as well. We know and the world knows that the United States has the greatest conventional military force in the world. Do we have the best cyber military force in the world as well? Is the United States just as capable of of um, playing offense in this kind of uh, warfare? Oh, absolutely. I think we are still the preeminent uh, power in cyberspace at this point. That's not to say that we're not, that, that the Russians and Chinese especially aren't achieving parity with us, but still, 
we have, you know, because of the nature of what we do and how we do it, we can still maintain an advantage in cyberspace. But even with offense, you still got to come up with defense, you know, as uh, the, as the Cowboys found out in the playoffs, right? <laughs> you got to have both if you're, you know, hate to throw that in for you Cowboys fans, but look, you got to have both if you're going to win, uh, just because you have a great offense and if you have a bad defense. So, we're, we are tremendously good at offense, but we don't always control from a government standpoint, military standpoint, all the defense. 85% of the critical infrastructure in the United States is owned by the private sector. So there's this relationship and this partnership that has to happen for us to adequately defend against their attacks. But trust me, they rank so low on Reporters Without Borders Freedom of the Press Index. The reason you don't hear about stuff in Russia, China, the same way you do in the U.S. when something happens is because reporters over there disappear and die when you report bad things about the government. A, certainly a very good point. It is not so surprising that something like this happened. It is eyebrow-raising uh, the fact that uh, the, the targets were U.S. nuclear sites. And again, a cyber terrorism analyst, former senior advisor to the U.S. State Department Anti-Terrorism Assistance program. Morgan Wright with us this morning. Fascinating stuff. Morgan, thanks very much for taking the time, providing your insight. We appreciate it. As always, Chris. Thanks, buddy. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. So, uh, weather like this uh, that we're getting uh, today, we're expecting today, you see a lot of uh, folks out there uh, plowing parking lots and, and so on, right? Clearing the, uh, the snow. Uh, one church parking lot in southwest Portland, Oregon, uh, had an interesting, had to be cleared, not of snow, uh, of raw sewage. <laughs> what? It says the uh, church parking lot, the uh, First United Methodist Church parking lot in southwest Portland was filled with 40,000 gallons of water and raw sewage on Monday night. City crews have been repairing a sunken area of roadway when a water main ruptured and backed up into the sewer line, sending a rather nasty mixture into the parking lot of the church. The flow was finally able to be stopped after about two hours. Warning signs have been placed around the parking lot until the spill can be completely cleaned up. Yeah. Oh, man. <clears throat> Can you imagine having to uh, call off church services for that? Sorry, we're not doing uh, church services. Our parking lot is filled with sewage. Eek. By the way, speaking of signs, if a sign is put up on the road, it is likely there for a reason, uh, especially if it's warning drivers to stay off the street because of a massive pothole. Apparently, a dump truck driver in Contra Costa County, California, um, ignored that big orange sign, and uh, <laughs> it uh, did not end well. Uh, local news reports are that the incident happened on Monday when a truck had a nasty entanglement with a sinkhole. Long story short, the road had been closed uh, because of there was a hole in the road. There was a hole in the road. It was impassable, uh, but the truck driver blew right through the sign and straight into the pothole. Even worse, a worker on the scene said a barricade was wedged under the truck. So he not only ignored the sign, he blasted through a barricade thinking, oh, I can make that. Nope. Fortunately, the driver was not harmed. Uh, the road was closed 
completely for good following uh, flooding, mudsides, sinkholes, and other issues related to recent storms there in California. The sign says the road's closed. The road's closed. And you know that it's got... Here's the thing that gets me. Uh, You know how roads have potholes, and sometimes they're huge potholes, and road crews don't do anything about it, it seems. So if there's a sign saying that there's a pothole uh, in the road that you should avoid, you really should avoid If it is bad enough that they are placing a sign there, <laughs> then you know that it's got to be bad. Oh, my goodness. Some of the other uh, broken news headlines of the day. This out of Nashville, Tennessee, where a woman is facing charges for an incident at a Dollar General store there in Music City. Music City. Police say it happened on Monday when Tiffany Mendez was reportedly denied access to the store's bathroom. She said she really had to go. The employees said, I'm sorry, it's not a public restroom. So she did what I think any reasonable person would do. She dropped her drawers and let it all go right there on the floor. That'll teach them. Uh, And then, just for extra measure, just for good measure, she decided to steal uh, all of the things that she had been shopping for. (laughs) Walk out of the store without paying for them. Uh, She uh, left the store, and then, as if she didn't already know that she was in big, big trouble, she came back to the store with a handgun to threaten the employees. Uh, That's when police stepped in and placed Ms. Mendez in custody. Uh, So, (laughs) she's just, suddenly she decided, how much trouble can I get into in one day? Uh, There we go, find out. A couple of stories out of Hawaii in the broken news. It's not very often that we have stories out of Hawaii in the broken news. But we don't want to forget the Aloha State. The state attorney general's office in Hawaii is investigating reports of uh, contraband being smuggled into the Oahu Community Correctional Center. Uh, Apparently, they were trying to uh, sneak contraband into uh, the prison. But guess what it was? Not drugs. It's not weapons. Uh, 100 pounds of illegal fireworks were apparently delivered to the mail room back in early December shipped to the jail from Las Vegas using an inmate's name and the guard claimed that they were Christmas presents. <laughs> they were uh, thinking of having a little party there, I guess. You can see where that would be dangerous, where fireworks would be contraband uh, in a uh, jail. The uh, State Department of Public Safety also conducting its own internal review. So... Fortunately, they intercepted those. And uh, check this out. A uh, really cool story uh, from uh, Honolulu. You know, when people go on a break at work, I mean, what do you do when you you go on a break? Maybe you have lunch. Maybe you call uh, your significant other. You text your friends or whatever when you're on a work break. Um, Luke Shepardson, on his work break, managed to win the Eddie 
iCal Big Wave Invitational surfing competition. <laughs> While he was on break, he was actually on duty as a lifeguard in Honolulu, and he was on a break, and <laughs> he competed in the surf contest and won. His supervisor, he said, did allow him to take longer breaks than usual in order to surf the 50-foot waves. Um, and, uh, I mean, it's not like it was a slow day. There were like 50,000 or so spectators uh, on the beach, spectators and surfers on the beach, and uh, lifeguards logged at least 64 rescues on the day. Uh, Mr. Shepherdson, though, uh, got uh, time to uh, compete in the... Uh, in the competition himself and actually won top prize. He could not celebrate when he won though, because his shift wasn't over. Uh, <laughs> he told people who were uh, looking for comments, wanting to interview him afterwards. I've got to get back to the tower to make sure everyone's okay until the end of the day. <laughs> and won the surf contest. And then went right back to work. <laughs> a day in the life of a lifeguard in Hawaii, man must be rough. There you go. That is today's Broken News Report, the odd and unusual side of the headlines. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile app for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Online at WFIN.com and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Time now for your daily download. The numbers behind the news and the statistics that shape our lives. Since uh, many students have the day off today, maybe you can take the opportunity to teach them some life skills, some soft skills. Interesting new survey of 2,000 parents of children under the age of six finds that 8 in 10 of these parents, 81%, believe education should be uh, about more than just academics and that educators should spend more time teaching about soft skills and current events. In this survey, 62% of parents say they prioritize their young ones learning soft skills before the age of eight, uh, compared to 37% who put, say, math, mathematics, at the forefront of a child's education. The most important soft skills or character traits for kids to learn early in life, according to the parents in this survey, honesty and respect. One in five said honesty and respect. I'm not sure how you could teach that in an uh, educational setting. I mean, that's part of the whole experience of education, but I don't know how you deliberately uh, teach that. In any event, honesty and respect, uh, number one on the list. The survey also found financial literacy topped the list of non-academic skills that parents believe schools should focus on in early childhood. 61% said financial literacy should be an emphasis as young as age six. And again, that's a little complicated at that uh, age. It's not that it's impossible to do, but uh, obviously you're not going to teach a six-year-old how to balance a checkbook, but there are things you can do to sow the seeds of financial literacy. So I can see that. 
this is where it gets kind of interesting. 46% said that kids should learn sewing or knitting skills. Sewing or knitting. Hmm. And uh, <laughs> was this poll taken in 1892? I <laughs> uh, but no, sewing or knitting, I guess those would be uh, good skills to know. 45% said internet safety should be a point of emphasis in education. And I guess by today's standards, you'd have to include that. Uh, 81% of parents also want their children to have an understanding of current events. But again, this is where things get kind of dicey because then you get into the whole idea of interpreting uh, current events and what they mean and you get into the whole politics of that. So that's kind of a danger area. But I think for many of those skills, many of those things, one could argue that those are all skills that parents certainly should take the lead on. And maybe, as we said, today you've got that opportunity. If the kids are off school, take some time and maybe lay the groundwork there. So originally in this segment, we had planned to uh, speak with Sarah Clevidence, the Finley Hancock County Public Library, about some of their uh, events coming up and activities and such in the uh, month of February. We're going to uh, push that back, and uh, Sarah will be with us tomorrow with all of that information for you because we want to speak this morning with WTOL 11 meteorologist Diane Phillips to get an update on this uh, winter storm and what we can expect over the next 24 hours or so here in Northwest Ohio. Diane, didn't we just go through this a month ago? <laughs> yes, I think a lot of us are saying, <laughs> oh, here's another round, but it's Almost. so mild. So we're we're due for some winter after all. <laughs> Almost exactly a month ago, being that this is uh, January 25th, folks remember leading up to Christmas, we had that uh, storm. That was a much different storm than what we are going to see over the next 24 hours, both in terms of the amount of snow and kind of the structure of this storm, right? Meteorologically. Yes, yes, very different setup for us. So when we were, we were talking about the Christmas storm, it was really a wind storm then. So we had way more wind. We had that bitter cold because of it. Wind chills were um, not liked by many of us. Right. And then we didn't have a lot of snow. This time, though, we're really seeing more of the snow side of this and the winds not going to be much of a factor. Of course, whenever you have a storm, yes, your winds are going to pick up. But really, this is a wet and heavy snow that we're going to be seeing. So the probabilities of that blowing around, not going to be all that strong. The winds today, yes, they'll peak up around 25 miles per hour, but we really won't have to worry too much as far as those winds and, well, dropping those temperatures as well. So we can mainly focus on the snow that we have moving in here and then also the cleanup that'll come with it afterwards. Right. So not the whiteout conditions that we had a month ago, but the fear here is in the amount of snow that we have maybe about a half a foot and then uh, the possibility we could see a wintry mix in between which could add a little bit of ice to the equation 
Yes. So we're going to be watching really close to that rain snow line. So as we head here into the next couple of hours, let's kind of, you know, fast forward to plan out your Wednesday. You're going to find there around the Finley area that we're really going to notice kind of some of that heaviest of snowfall as we go into the later morning. So we're talking 10, 11 o'clock this morning. Okay. So that's when we're really going to notice that snow totals start to add up for us. We're also going to find that conditions when you head out on roadways, those roads are going to become sloppy pretty quick during that time frame because we're going to be looking at snow amounts. We could even see up to an inch per hour then. So that's when we're really going to kind of see some of that add up. But when we do see that heaviest of snowfall on the other side of that, that means that we're really close to that rain snow line. So that's why we're going to be watching for a little bit of that wintry mix. Some of that even falling as a little bit of rainfall. But of course, if you're going to be, you know, down towards, um, you know, Seneca County area, you're going to find that you're really working that rain snow line, seeing some snowfall, also seeing that rainfall as well. So further south and east you go of even the Finley area, you're going to find a little more of that mix between the rain and snow. As far as that icing, shouldn't have too much buildup on that front. We just won't be in that phase long enough to see many impacts from that. Of course, transitioning, it's always difficult between mm. rain and snow, right? but really we'll be looking at that mix. Okay. Uh, and then after that, uh, some additional snowfall? Right. So this system will actually wrap up. We'll see that around 7, 8 o'clock tonight that that snow is really going to be winding down. Okay. So even before midnight, this storm is out of town. So then we start the whole cleanup process, but this storm is also unlocking some cold air for us. So that means that we are going to be keeping some snow showers into the forecast just because the lakes are wide open still. So that means that the Great Lakes region, we're talking some snow showers. So accumulations will be limited um, as we head into Thursday and Friday. Sure, you'll pick up some snow showers, but we'll be seeing accumulations about an inch or less as we head through this time frame. So shouldn't it be too much to where we won't be using the snow blowers as much like we will though be for today. Okay, so uh, the long and short of it is that we're still looking at maybe about a half a foot of snow and then maybe uh, uh, some additional flurries after this passes. And for the most part, this event uh, is going to be over uh, by about 7, 8 o'clock this evening, right? Exactly. And yes, yeah, so snow totals, those, they're still on track. Like I said, it's really here the late morning that we'll pick up on a lot of that snow. We're still forecasting that four to seven inches. Okay. So yes, that kind of half of a foot range is still um, right on track. Of course, though, the further south and east, if you notice that, hey, there's a little more rain mixing in, that is going to cut down on some of your snow totals. So mm-hmm. keep that in mind. If you're seeing a little more rain, then you're probably going to be trimming down that snow amount. And then uh, after this, is there anything else? I mean, you mentioned the possibility of some flurries over the next few days, but is there uh, anything else uh, on the horizon that looks like it's going to become an additional storm here in the next week or so? So we're watching for Sunday. We have a system that's kind of right along that rain snow line. So it seems like this mild winter weather doesn't want to just give up. 
So we're going to be watching on Sunday as a, a weak system kind of buzzes through, bringing us a chance for some rain and snow. Of course, we'll be watching to see where that line pops up. So have the WTO all of the weather app. I know we're going to be updating for the alert day, but also even looking ahead to the weekend. And then we do notice a little more of an active pattern as we wrap up January and head into February. So really having the WTO all 11 weather app, that's really where we have that first notification. So that's super helpful to keep an eye on what we have coming next week. And the question that everybody wants to know, again, because we're uh, coming up on the uh, start of uh, February, is the groundhog going to be able to see his shadow uh, on uh, Groundhog Day uh, coming up? Because we don't want that. Right. So I haven't given him a call recently, so we're not going to touch with him. I'll let you okay. know first thing. All right. So uh, we'll be watching for that extended forecast into uh, Groundhog Day. So again, uh, even though we got maybe a little bit of a later start with this snow event than what we anticipated, it is still uh, going to be something to watch uh, throughout the day. And uh, WTOL 11 meteorologist Diane Phillips with us this morning at the latest update on what we can expect over the next 24 hours or so diane thanks very much for the time we appreciate it yes stay safe everybody and with that we put the wraps on today's podcast remember you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each and every day at our webpage, and that of course is goodmornings.net so i invite you to check us out online coming up tomorrow on the program it is perhaps the largest expansion of veterans benefits in history and that doesn't happen overnight We'll talk about how the VA is preparing for implementation of the Honoring Our Pact Act. So until tomorrow morning, that is Good Mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.